0: Hello, and welcome. We're very glad that you've joined us today. We're very glad they are interested in spiritual things. And we're really excited that you've joined us as we begin an exploration into wisdom from Ecclesiastes. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. Let us hear the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. is what will be, and what has been done, is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So as we begin our exploration of some wisdom from Ecclesiastes. We first need to see who this guy is and why we're listening to him. Ecclesiastes one one, we're told, this is the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. In the end of the book, in chapter twelve and verse nine, that this man wrote many proverbs, and so it's considered a sermon of sorts by the preacher, who is considered King Solomon, who is famous for his proverb writing in First Kings four and verse thirty two. He is known in the Bible for his great wisdom and prosperity, and therefore he can speak this message we're going to be exploring with the authority of wisdom and experience. So Solomon is speaking as the preacher here sometime around the 10th century before Jesus. And he is full of wisdom that God has given him and based upon the life that he has lived. And he begins the way he ends. And the whole book is framed with this declaration, vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Now vanity is translating a word in Hebrew, very difficult to translate, hevel. Uh, Literally hevel is a breath or a vapor. And so therefore we can see all things as a breath or a vapor. They're fleeting, they're vain, they don't really last. If you want to take an existential view uh, of the idea of vanity, you could see it as absurdity. It may be a an bit anachronistic to impose an existential philosophy uh, 3,000 years into the past, but it's not terribly wide of the mark of what the preacher is trying to discuss. So, this is really the thesis statement of the whole message that all things ultimately are vain, or but a breath. And Ecclesiastes is a book that a lot of people don't really know what to do with. Uh, it's a very interesting book, some disputes about when it was written and to what end. A a lot of people who are religious want to emphasize the places where God's hand can be seen in the book and try to redeem the preacher's lesson, and that's seen in its conclusion that the whole end of the matter is to fear God and keep his commandments. Others dismiss most of that and see a a lot of the book for what it is in its raw form, the bleak portrayal of life. That the preacher sees and, and walk away thinking he's some kind of cynic. That he might be a forerunner of existentialism. There's reason the connection works, after all. And they have a hard time seeing God in the book. We need to understand Ecclesiastes in the context in which it's declared. Solomon throughout is talking about life under the sun, which means on this planet. In light of the fact that life is not permanent. That death is certain. And that all the material things that people hold dear are transient and they will pass away. And it's very disorienting, because the preacher is stripping away the pretenses, the veneers and our vain imaginings that we maintain about ourselves, the things that we do, the wealth that we accrue, and their ultimate value in and of themselves. He's declaring that life and work, laziness, oppression, oppressor, wealth, poverty, fortune, all these things on earth are in the end vanity, their breath. They're vapor, and they pass away. And in a sense, therefore, it is all absurd. And so he has this question that he's asking. What what does a man gain by all the work he does? Now, the the preacher is, again, not impious. He's not trying to deny God or his purpose or his place. But he knows that God made man in the garden in Genesis 2.15 to work the garden. He understands, or he wrote in Proverbs 10, 16, 13, 11, 14, 23, that work is good and it provides benefit. He's not unaware of that. There is good in work. And, and throughout Ecclesiastes, we're going to see that he affirms the value and benefit of, of, of work. But, to what ultimate benefit? What does it get you in the end in a very literal way? Why do we work so hard and accumulate wealth anyway? What will it mean in the end? And he leaves the question open for now. And therefore so will we. But the majority of this part of of the beginning of the lesson is getting us to understand the cyclical nature of things. That generation comes and goes. The earth remains. And he sees the cycles in the natural world. The sun goes up comes down goes up comes down sunrise sunset sunrise sunset in a cycle he sees the water cycle that it rains the water flows into the sea when we know there's evaporation in the clouds it rains it goes back in the sea that all this water just keeps cycling over and over again that the winds blow and they keep blowing and they keep blowing and they keep blowing in their cycles and so he then sees these natural forces, and he then kind of applies it to the things he's seeing among human beings. That all things are full of weariness. A man can't utter it. The eye isn't satisfied with seeing, the ear filled hearing. That Even though all these things continue on, people still have these questions. People keep whining to know. They know they want to know more. They see they want to see more. It, it's, it's a wearisome task to keep doing all these things. And that's part of the problem. There's no satisfaction. And so now he makes his point about cycles. No matter how much you try to go and go and go, there's nothing new under the sun. All that has been will be and all that will be has already been. And so this gets to the point that he's getting to in this whole idea of cycles and and everything is vain. Each generation comes and goes. And each generation is forgotten, in verse 11. Now, in future lessons, we're going to look at other aspects of the wisdom from Ecclesiastes and see where uh, Solomon's taking a lot of these questions about labor and things of that nature. But there is some clarity that we can get out of this first section, understanding that all things are vanity. Human beings are meaningful creatures. We need to have meaning to make life worthwhile. And left to our own devices after the fall, the meaning that we seek is something akin to what we see from Genesis chapter 11, the beginning with the Tower of Babel, that when humans after the flood were were told to disperse around the earth, they didn't do so. They came and gathered on the plain of Shinar. And they said to one another in Genesis 11, 3, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Left to their own devices, the effort of mankind was to establish a name for themselves to be a rallying cause for their own purposes, often to the contrary to the purposes and will of God. And I think that's just some funny old story. A lot of people think it's just mythology that never happened. But yet, to this day, what do people continue to do but try to build some monuments of their own greatness that they might be remembered and not be dispersed and scattered? that labor is expended to accumulate wealth and to make a name for oneself. But the preacher has seen it for what it is and what it's worth. That we like to invest the, in our work the idea that well, what we does makes a difference. That we do what we do to make a difference. and And any good motivator is going to try to get you to think that by what you're doing you're in some small way changing the world. And there's so much idealistic rhetoric about this. But the preacher knows something. Everybody dies. Previous generations have died. There are another generation coming up, and it will die as well. What happens to people after they die? Well, for a few years, their family members remember them well. Maybe they did some kind of a notable thing that is remembered in local history, maybe even in general history. But have you ever noticed in the history book how you go through thousands of years quickly, then you go through hundreds of years quickly and there's so much more information about the present? Well, one day the present will look back at this past as distant and very few of the names will remain. And even then to what end? How is that immortality? People will build memorials, but how long will they last? We can go to ancient cultures and see monuments that had to be dug back up again. They had been forgotten. In fact, that Tower of Babel, Shinar there, Babylon, was was excavated long after had, the sand had taken over those ruins and they had been forgotten. All of them will eventually decay. All the work you put into your earthly life, your career, your investments, your family will fade and perish. You will grow old and die. Your children will grow up and die. Your career will end and people will have no reason to remember your accomplishments. Money changes hand and is spent. And the odds are that you will be left as a line item far back in the family tree of your descendants. A name, a birth date, a death date, maybe a marriage date, maybe a little bit of pictures or a little bit of detail. And even that... Is a fate for the privileged few, because most people throughout time and history, even to this very day, are too poor and otherwise not notable to be even that well remembered. They will be buried, and within a short time will be completely forgotten. And that is why the preacher declares that all things are a vanity, all things are hevel, are a vapor, are a breath. Because everything we do under the sun will vanish. We don't want to admit it. We rail against this and fight against this because we want to invest ourselves with meaning. But indeed, all is vanity. And that is why these words provoke and challenge people to this very day. After all, it is reported that during the Holocaust, uh, the Nazis directed a group of Jewish people to dig ditches only to fill them in again, and do similar sorts of work that clearly had no purpose or meaning that many of those who did such work committed suicide or gave up the will to live because they could find no meaning in what they were doing. How many people have you known in life when they have no longer been able to produce have felt worthless, that they've invested their lives and their identity in what they do? People and cultures have sought to invest meaning in their existence and efforts to inspire and motivate other people to accomplish the goal. And they have to. Otherwise, why would we expend effort to the cause of our country, or our company, or any other group, any other cause, unless they motivated us that it was in the end worthwhile? But it will all be in vain. We can get personal satisfaction in what we do, but we want more. We want notoriety. We want a sense of permanence. We hold, want to hold on to the idea that something that we do will be immortal, that it will last a long time after we do. But it's not the case under the sun. It will be forgotten. The monuments will be decayed or toppled. Nations will rise and fall. Descendants will at some point forget you. And we will all be all the forgotten within a few generations on, under the sun. We may build new towers of Babel. But they will not endure. That's a hard lesson, but one of the important lessons that we gain from Ecclesiastes and helps us to shape our minds to understand what we nearly really focus on and what we need to be suspicious of in terms of rallying around certain causes and certain purposes as if they are permanent when they are not. One of the conceits of our modern era is this emphasis on progress and development. It's very easy to be conceited as a generation. After all, everybody who came before us has died. And so it's very easy to believe that we're better than the people who came before us because they can't exactly rise up and, and correct us or challenge us in that understanding. And, and think about for just a second how patronizingly we cheat, treat people before us. That they just didn't know better. They couldn't help it. They didn't have the science or technology or the know-how. Or maybe they're just backward people. But now, of course, we do know better. We have progressed. We have seen the value of evolution that has gone from being just a scientific theory about origins to now being the primary metaphorical vehicle by which people understand themselves and the place in their world. And everything that came before us was at some level of being primitive. And how do we look at the future? We are looking at the future that things are just going to get better. That we're going to get more advanced. We're going to get smarter. We are evolving. Things will be better. We enjoy that view of ourselves and our conceit. But is it accurate? Do we really have a better handle on things than those who came before us? Well, if we're going to keep this idea up, we've got to uh, forget about a lot of uncomfortable realities and details. There is no doubt that today we are blessed with better technology than the people in the past. After all, they weren't driving the kind of cars we drive, or aren't using the technology, weren't able to listen to pontifications on scripture, on an mp3 player, or a computer. Yet, we're still asking the same types of questions they did. Why am I here? What is this life for? How should I live? In so much uh, of our culture and all the questions we have, we're encouraged to turn to science for answers. But science can't answer these questions. Instead, they try to proffer answers that really are a warmed-over philosophical form of Epicureanism. And... Unfortunately, people today have taken that warmed-over Epicureanism, the idea that things just are, are, there's randomness, that all things are randomly crashing into each other, that the best thing to do is just to enjoy life to the best you can and to to harm and be as little harmful as you can be. Because there's no ultimate meaning. That so many have taken that view in, in all of its forms or some of its forms and act as if it's just gospel, as if that's just the way things are. The Greeks understood Epicureanism as one way of looking at the world, but as only, only one of very many, and we are quite impoverished in comparison. And that is why there's wisdom in the way the preacher sees things. Because when we look at the world around us, there's not a lot of progress being seen, or, for that matter, evolution but a lot of cycles. Many have pointed out what seem to be cyclical historical events. In fact, people have used cyclical understandings to understand historical movements. We can also see it in the way the world works. In the sun. In the moon. In the water cycle. In the life cycle. The book, in biology book, is, is full of cycles as, as anything else. And the preacher's saying that's telling us something. And this is the rebuke that the preacher has for our culture. No, there is nothing new under the sun. All that has been will be, and all that is has been. Well, it's easy to protest that and say, well, you know, Solomon didn't drive in a car or ride in an airplane, so therefore he's wrong. Well, it is true these things are new, but that's not what the preacher's talking about or interested in. We may have smartphones but we'd still have difficulties communicating with our fellow human beings. They're right at the same communication problems, whether it's by a text or by phone, as it would be if the only interaction we had was face-to-face communication. We might have cars or airplanes, but we still have accidents. We still have safety concerns and boredom in travel, as those who walked or had chariots did. If anything, our technological advancements have just amplified the challenges. What was the internet first used for when it was developed? A great, wonderful tool of technology, of communicating, of allowing for collaboration on projects, and people put on porn, then gambling, and then all sorts of commerce. In fact, if you went back and talked to Solomon about the types of things we'd invent... I wouldn't be surprised at all if Solomon would then tell exactly how those things would end up being used, and we'd be chilled at how accurate they would be. And that is why it is said that the more things change, the more things stay the same. Those who forget history are doomed to repeat it, and yet everybody seems to forget history. Quite frankly, since Solomon, we've just been rehashing the questions and problems of existence. Because of all you know, you take away all the technological grandeur of our culture and get down to the answers it tells itself for the problems of life. It's just a not very effective Epicurean philosophy. The Greeks, meanwhile, had Platonism, Aristotelianism, Stoicism, Cynicism, other schools of thought that also provided ways of understanding the universe. Did you think that there is some new philosophical idea or model of reality? If you check back with Greek philosophers, there's odds are that somebody at some point already speculated about that possibility. But so every so often, somebody has some new idea, they think. But normally it's just some old thing warmed over. And that's really true in religious history. Calvinism wasn't new. It was just Augustinianism, brought back after 1,100 years. Christian science? Well, they took a lot of the ideas of the Gnostics back in the 2nd and 3rd centuries and beyond. Jehovah's Witnesses? They're anticipated by Arius in the 3rd fourth century, uh, third, me, among others. New trends? Odds are, in some way or another, they existed in the past as well. In fact, quite frankly, everything's turning out like fashion trends. What was in vogue 20 years ago is back again. Therefore, we don't really have a right to this pretension, this conceit, that we are superior to our ancestors. No, we're no better than they are. We live in different times, we have different benefits, but we also have different challenges. But we're in the same boat, asking the same questions, trying to find meaning in a world that has been corrupted by death, where everything is impermanent, and all proves to be vanity, and that all will be forgotten. So there is wisdom in Ecclesiastes in this first section. That everything under the sun is a vanity. That to find meaning and will perish is a futile task. There is nothing new under the sun. Sure, there's better technologies. But they're just emphasizing different things than others did in the past. It's, It's a pretty bleak forecast. This is not exactly a happy lesson. But we have to understand our limitations if we're going to have a realistic way forward. And that is why Ecclesiastes is here, and the preacher tells us about life under the sun, subject to decay and corruption and death, as Paul will speak later of in Romans through 25 Because if all there is to living is this life, then it's very bleak, and rightly so. But Solomon's descendant, Jesus of Nazareth, was raised from the dead, and he extends the hope of eternal life in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, through 58 That there is more to living than this life, that we can ground meaning and hope in something that is not vanity, that will not perish or fade, this kingdom of God in Christ. And that God is doing a new thing and making all things new, transforming, restoring all things back to himself. Matthew 6, 19, 24, and 1 Corinthians 15. That our labor need not be in vain if it is in Christ, in the hope of the resurrection. That we seek to find true meaning and truly desire mortality, which is the basic desires that we seem to have. It will not be found in this world. It will not be found in the things of this world, but it can, will be found in Christ, His kingdom, and the resurrection of life. And that is why it is important for all of us to seek God in Christ and to hope in the resurrection. If you have any further thoughts on Ecclesiastes, or maybe you'd like to talk about some of the things we talked about, maybe learn more about what it means to be a Christian, uh, maybe you want to talk about other things, or you have some difficulties, or you have prayer requests, if there's any way I can be of service, please let me know. Please contact me through my website at DeVerbalVitae.com. That's com. And if we can be of service to the Venice Church of Christ, please uh, check us out online at VeniceChurchofChrist.org. We're also on social media at Facebook, Google+, Instagram, Meetup, Twitter, YouTube, Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.